Welcome back to season four of the Con Man's Answers Show. To start off today, I want to give a trigger warning because today is Friday, June 24th, and the Supreme Court has now overturned Roe v. Wade. Because of that, I'm starting a new section of the podcast that surrounds specific philosophy, and to start out that subsection... I'm going to be diving into the majority opinion in today's episode and the philosophy behind why Justice Alito believes the way he does. Next, I will go on to the concurrences, and then I will finish with the philosophy behind the dissenters. After these, I might dive into other subsections of law and philosophy, but these next few months are going to be specific to philosophy if they are not pertaining to guest episodes. I wanted to give a trigger warning because today is a hard day for a lot of women and a lot of people out there. I understand that this will be a tough episode, but this is not me supporting Justice Alito in any way. This is just me understanding it and helping everyone and all of us understand it because the first way to getting towards acceptance or opposition getting ready for opposition is to understand why your opponent or the person you oppose policy you have to understand why they believe they do and what it is they specifically believe and so in this episode today i will be diving into the majority opinion written by justice samuel alito and the philosophy behind the majority opinion take a listen all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome back season four of the con man's answers show and we all know it. Today's is Friday. Today is Friday, June 24th. And this marks the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And for season four, I wanted to do a lot more philosophy because I miss it. I'm never going to be taking philosophy courses again. Let's not say never, but you know, for the foreseeable future, I'm going to go to law school. So um, philosophy is kind of gone for now, but I can always philosophize, right? I can always can always philosophize and and think about things critically and so and so because of that I wanted to talk a little bit of philosophy and I think what better way of doing that than by talking about justice alito and natural law okay so specifically to understand why Justice Alito thinks the way he does and why a lot of the Catholic Christian natural law theorists that sit on the bench think the way they do. We have to separate the ideas of conservatism and liberalism as we know them in our political system. So in our political system, we think of the words conservative and liberal when we're thinking of people who vote, so citizens, or we think of people who are acting in legislature, which is Congress. We think of them as people who are aligned with Republican or, or Democratic. And so when they're pushing policy, we tend to think that they're doing so as a result of their political ideology or as a result to their alignment with their political party. Um, and, and for the, the, the judicial system or the judicial branch was set up as a way to strip that away. So it was set up as a way to keep lawyers out of politics. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case. Um, but 
still the way that lawyers or the way that the justices who are trained lawyers think is based on an interpretation of the law. So the judicial branch works through the way they can make laws constitutional or unconstitutional works through a thing called judicial review. And now judicial review is not written in the Constitution. It was not a power given to the judicial branch by the founders. It was a power that they enacted upon themselves through the case Marbury versus Madison, which I won't get into. Maybe I'll get into in another day if you guys want to hear that. But basically, the idea of judicial review is the idea that um, the justice branch has the power to make law constitutional or unconstitutional when they read it and they deem it to not be in alignment or in alignment with the Constitution. So the overarching sovereign body of the United States is the people, and then the people give up some of their sovereignty or some of their power to the Constitution, which serves everyone or is supposed to serve everyone. Okay. And so we're thinking about why the justices are ruling in certain ways about unconstitutionalism or constitutionalism. We have to think about why they're thinking them or how they are reading the law. And so for a lot of people, they're either posit- legal positivists or they're realists. But for people like Justice Samuel Alito and other conservative justices or Catholic, I don't want to say conservative, but Catholic or Christian um, justices who are appointed and who are serving on the Supreme Court, they they subscribe to the idea of Christian natural law theory. And so for starters, traditional natural law theory is, is, is an idea or is one defining that beliefs or basically traditional natural law theory is the idea that there are fundamental moral truths, truths that hold true in any human civilization. And so for people who are natural lawyers, the fundamental moral truths come from a higher power. And therefore, the law is a distinction between things just and unjust made in agreement with the most things that are primal and ancient and all things, which is nature. So basically, the law comes from nature. And, and Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas actually said that. Actually, that might have been Aristotle who said that um, natural law is just making things just through things that are most primal, which is nature or naturalism. And so basically under natural law, everyone is capable of rationalizing towards their higher power and therefore they can contribute towards a common moral good. And so this common moral could good becomes imperative when we're talking about why they think the way they do. So moreover, the point of law for these natural lawyers is to counteract the evil that's in the world and to protect the civilized values of moral good people. And this becomes very important when we're thinking about something like Alito, because we're starting to think of what does he specifically believe to be a moral good person or a moral good just in in society. So much like traditional natural law theory, Christian natural law theory, um, it's based on Thomas Aquinas, who I previously mentioned. Um, And it takes into the principles of natural law theory a step further and argues that law has four different distinctions or four different levels. And so specifically, these four levels are eternal, natural, human, and divine law. So eternal law is described as basically God's plan, which is known only to himself. So under this Christian natural law theory, the entire universe is governed by God's divine reason. And because of this, and because of the fact that God is all powerful, there is a quality of law that has always and will always exist under rational guidance, which has created all things, which is God or God's power, God's will, God's plan. 
the next category of law that Thomas Aquinas and Christian natural law theorists subscribe to is this idea of natural law. So I, I, I spoke about what natural law is. It's the law that is, is accordance with nature. But under Christian natural law theory, and this is imperative for Samuel Alito, natural law is the part of God's plan that is accessible to humans through reason. So under the, the philosophy of Christian natural law theory, reason governs the universe and was gifted to the people by the all-powerful creator or God. And so at this level, natural law can be seen as the impression of the divine within the human being. Now, this impression from the divine is what allows persons or people to be moral agents. Therefore, if humans act according to their reason, then they are partaking in natural law and are subsequently acting as moral agents. So under natural law, humans are acting in accordance with that law if they are reasoning towards God's plan. The third subsection is what Christian natural law theorists or people that's called human law. So human laws are laws that are declared by people but are in accordance with natural law. So these are written human laws or written legislature that is in accordance with God's plan. In contrast to secondary precepts, natural or human law must be consistent with reason and subsequently natural law. So secondary precepts are just human laws or human written legislation that is not in accordance with God's plan. And so under Christian natural law theory, people believe that there are these two subsections, that there's a section where humans are according to their reason and thinking with reason and therefore in accordance with natural law and God's plan. And therefore that is an actual law. And then there are secondary precepts, which are just laws that are immoral or tyrannical in a sense that are just written by humans. Actually, I wouldn't even say secondary precepts are um, immoral in a sense. They're just things like uh, stop at a red light to keep the to keep the flow of traffic going or drive 65 miles per hour on the road. These are secondary precepts. These are just laws not in accordance with God's plan, but they help people govern society. And so under Christian natural law theory, it is not always morally acceptable to follow secondary precepts. Therefore, it is only moral if they are consistent with our reason, which is available from the divine. So under this contrast, a Christian natural law theorist believes that a human law or a written law must be disregarded if it is not in accordance with the eternal. At this level, we can begin to understand how people who subscribe to Christianity for their legal for their legal reasoning and rationality can understand something as abortion as clearly not in accordance with the eternal because they subscribe to the Bible. So finally, under Christian natural law theory, it's dissected into what is called the divine law. Now, divine law is the part of God's law. This is the law we don't talk about all that much, but it is the law that is found in humans through revelation or religious experience. Divine law is divided into old and new law. The old law and new law roughly correspond to the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible. So when, when, when Aquinas speaks of old law or when Christian natural law there speak of new law, they're speaking of the Ten Commandments from the Bible. And when Christian natural law theorists are speaking of new law, he's thinking of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, under Christian natural law theory, divine law punishes all manner of sin, not just those punishable through human law 
and is only accessible through epiphanies. So you can only get this law to this law through divine experience and it punishes all manner of sin, whether or not it's decreed as um, morally valid within a society. And so when you take these four distinctions of what Christian natural law theorists believe to be a law, we can start to put the pieces together, not to justify what Thomas Alito is doing by any, or Samuel, Thomas, uh, not, I'm thinking of Aquinas, but not to justify what he's doing, but to understand why he thinks the way he does. I think they're the first step to, to, to knowing anything or to, you know, attacking an argument is to understand where your opponent is coming from, to understand the person you, you, you feel has, has stripped away the rights of women and stripped away the rights of so many people. You can, to under, if you understand the position they sit at to such an extent, then we can start to dissect why he believes the way he does and how to attack it and how to change it in the future. And so coming off of these four distinctions, Christian natural law theorists also believe in good and evil to like the Bible is terms, evil, Satan, good, God. So I think about something like we talked about with natural law or moral good, the definition of what that moral good becomes so important to understanding why he ruled the way he did. For starters, the most fundamental precept of morality in the law is to do good and avoid evil. One of the things that Christians believe to their core is that one must do good and avoid evil or avoid the alliance with Satan. Evil, now as described by the Bible, is the deviation from God. So in other words, evil can be described as the absence of privation or priviation of the divine. In contrast, the moral good is defined in terms of the promotion of defense of human life, procreation, knowledge, and sociability. That is straight from the definition of Aquinas and Christian natural law theory. Good is described or defined in terms of the promotion and defense of human life, procreation, knowledge, and sociability. In the definition of what Christian natural law theorists believe, they have good in alliance with the promotion and defense of human life and procreation. If that isn't an understanding of why this guy believes the way he does, I don't know what is. So at this level, good can be described as congruent with the Bible or God. And so understanding the background so when he's coming into writing this case, or when he's coming in to deliberate this case with eight other justices, he has this in the back of his mind, along with some of the other um, Christian or Catholic conservative justices. And I got to stop saying conservative, but you know what I mean? He has these four distinctions of law, the definition of moral good and evil, and he truly believes in the Bible is law. He believes that natural law is just, and human law is just humans being in accordance with the divine. And so understanding that we can start to begin to break down what his argument was and why he argued it. Now, I will preface this by saying I wrote this paper and I, and I dissected his argument from the uh, post draft or the draft um that came out a couple months ago so 
there might be more things added into the the new one, but the new draft or the new actual opinion. So I will read that, but it's going to take a couple of time because it's like 284 pages and I really want to dissect what he's saying and, and the concurrences. So I'll make a part two about the concurrences and then a part three about the dissents. But for now, I just want to go through what Alito's opinion was and, and, and from understanding his background and where he's coming from, we can start to break down why he thought the way he did, even though he was completely wrong in doing so. I believe he was completely wrong in doing so. The libertarian in me believes that the government should say out of everybody's personal and especially private lives. However, um, we can understand where he's coming from. So therefore, in the future, we can attack the argument specifically along with the man. So Justice Samuel Alito breaks his argument or opinion down into like three specific, weird, vague arguments. And so the first argument Alito makes is that there is no prior precedent that upholds the decision of Roe v. Wade. Hmm. There's no prior precedent. Precedent meaning coming from stare decisis and common law, meaning that um, the previous case or the previous court, whatever they ruled, stands as law. So Alito here is not being consistent. He is picking and choosing which cases to adhere to or to adhere to under, sorry, decisis. I believe that this can be seen as an example of legislating from the bench because Alito is disregarding cases like Loving v. Texas, which is precedent which Roe stands on, all while pleading the case that prior abortion cases prove that abortion has been illegal under common law tradition. Alito's rationale for picking and choosing what cases to follow under common law comes from the fact that he believes Roe v. Wade is an example of human law that is not in accordance with natural law. As stated earlier, it is only morally acceptable for a Christian natural law theorist to follow a written law if it is in accordance with natural law. Therefore, for Alito, a Catholic and Christian natural law theorist, as a Supreme Court justice, it is his duty in his mind to rule tyrannical law, which is law that is not in accordance with the divine, as unconstitutional and human law as constitutional. This is exactly what Samuel Alito is trying to do with striking down Roe as unprecedented. He is trying to break human law which he believes is not in accordance with the divine because not only does it in his mind um, block procreation, but it also is not in accordance with the defense of human life. Next, Justice Samuel Alito is arguing that Roe v. Wade was poorly reasoned and therefore unconstitutional. As I mentioned earlier, mentioned multiple times, he's a conservative Catholic and a Christian natural law theorist. As that, Alito subscribes to the idea that reason is a gift from the God or from God or the divine. And therefore, the reasonable thing to do in all situations is to do what corresponds with the moral good. Because humans have a faculty for reason from birth, under Christian natural law theory, and the faculty of reason helps them differentiate between what is morally good and evil. It is the duty of the reasonable persons to act in accordance with the divine at all times. 
If we look at what Christian natural law theorists think of when they say moral good, we can clearly say that it is in regards to the promotion and defense of human life and procreation. Let's put that into parentheses for a second. Christian natural law theorists connect good with the defense of human life and procreation. At this level, it is easy to see how a Christian natural law theorist would strike down Roe v. Wade as unconstitutional since it is not in accordance with the divine virtues of human life and procreation. Moreover, for Alito, anyone receiving an abortion is therefore unreasonable and unvirtuous, and therefore it is morally acceptable to strike down Roe v. Wade since doing so will be in congruence with the divine. And like I said, you do not have to agree with what he's saying whatsoever. I don't. But what you have to understand is why he thinks the way he is. That's all this is for. This is just to understand where he's coming from. Because like I said, the number one way to attack your opponent is to understand their position. Finally, Justice Alito makes a case that Roe v. Wade is divisive and therefore unconstitutional. This divisiveness or definition of divisiveness comes from Christian natural law theorist definition of moral good, again, as it deals with the promotion of sociability. As I said before, it doesn't just deal with human life and procreation. It also deals with the promotion of sociability. For Alito, the most important characteristic of a society is sociability because it empowers people to live in a harmonious fashion. This social harmony allows for leisure, which in turn generates contemplation of the eternal. One of the main things that Christian natural law theorists believe in is this idea that leisure, you're supposed to live sociable so that you can, you can allow for leisurely time and therefore you can generate more time to contemplate the eternal, more time to reason and more time to understand the law or natural law as it is God's plan. So for Christian natural law theorists, this contemplation of the eternal allows for these people to have the better understanding of what human nature and natural law is, and therefore the main purpose of their existence, and therefore that is the main purpose of humans' existence. Main purpose of humans is to contemplate the eternal to get us more aligned with the divine. And I'm not saying I believe this. I'm saying this is what Christian natural law theorists believe. And therefore, sociability then for Alito is a way in which people structure themselves in order for their true desire, which is the contemplation of the eternal, to be pursued. The people who conform to this ideology, which are mainly Christian natural law theorists are considered reasonable and sociable under Christian natural law theorists. And if you don't subscribe to this ideology, then you are unreasonable and unsociable. That is the last reason that he did this and struck this down. Because of this, for Alito, the purpose of law is to protect the freedom of the reasonable. If you are unreasonable, you don't need freedom. Only free people need or only reasonable people need freedom. And I'm, this is specifically what he's thinking. Accordingly, therefore, Alito thinks anyone who subscribes to differing laws or beliefs other than Catholic natural law or Christian natural law is henceforth unreasonable, unsociable in the most or the worst possible ways. Therefore, the laws that should be promoted or protected are the ones that are defined as reasonable Christian rights and not the unreasonables. Finally, since Woe v. Wade 
was divisive in the sense that it is based upon unreasonableness and antisocial people. For Alito, Roe deserves to be overturned. I understand that that was a lot, and I understand that if you guys need to go back and and uh, and uh, you know go back over that a couple times, it's totally fine with me. I I want to give my two cents real quick because I just read you why he thought the way he did, and I'm going to do that for both the concurrence and both the dissents too. I just, you just need to give me some time. And this is going to be a new segment. We're going to philosophize about things. We're not going to talk about legality. We might, but right now I want to talk about the philosophy behind people's minds. And so in my mind, the reason that these Christian natural authors are specifically Alito is striking down Roe v. Wade It's not because it is based on bad precedent, like he says with his first argument. It's based on the fact that he believes it's not in accordance with God's plan for the world, 100%. Um, And I, I hate, both sides do this. I hate when you hide behind specific legal analysis, when you write opinions behind that, using that legal analysis when really your main purpose is still being able to be bled through. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. Cause if you're a legal, if you were an illegal analyst and you were specifically consistent with what you think, and a lot of these guys are consistent, uh, we're going to have to see about these new appointed justices because they're very early. We haven't even seen Ketanji Brown Jackson rule on anything yet. So we have no idea what the consistency of Kavanaugh, it's a little early to even say Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, definitely Amy Comey Barrett, uh, and Ketanji Brown Jackson. These four new justices, we basically know what Clarence Thomas thinks. We basically know what Alito thinks, and we basically think what um, uh, Kagan thinks. Uh, we definitely knew what Breyer thought, and Chief Justice Roberts kind of all over the place. But my biggest pet peeve is when you hide behind legal analysis by. Um, but really have a different agenda in, 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 in the back of your mind. And like I said, the libertarian in me believes that everybody, I don't think you should walk back laws that are on the book. Like I get the argument that it was not constitute. It was not in the constitution because who gives a, no one's going to write about abortion in the 1787, you know, maybe that's grounds for writing a new constitution. However, that doesn't mean it wasn't precedent for 50 years. And that doesn't mean people made their lives. There's half of the world right now, half of the United States wasn't alive when Roe v. Wade was passed. There's like two generations, one and a half generations that were alive, that are still alive, that were alive when Roe v. Wade was passed. And they were children. Some of them were a little older. Like I guess baby boomers were parents of Gen X, but Gen X, babies. And then there's millennials, Gen Zs, which I am. And then there's, um, I'm kind of in the middle of millennial and Gen Z. And then there's um, the new one. I don't know what the new one is. But 50 years, you know, people, and and I haven't read Clarence Thomas, so I don't want to say too much, but everyone, I've, you, we've all seen the posts of him talking about um, uh him saying that he thinks that all substantive due process cases should be watched back. And that includes gay marriage and sodomy laws and contraception. 
And here's my thing. You can't walk back precedent. You can, and they did it. But nine unelected officials should not be legislating our lives. You know? I think it's dangerous. I've said this multiple times. I think it's dangerous. And when they're on the side of good, as we think, it's good. But when they are on the side of that you don't agree with, most people live here. But the media would like to say that most people are over here and over here. And the crazy thing about this episode, if you made it all the way through, you understand where I'm coming from. I'm just trying to understand the opposing side so that we can understand it. You know, you don't have to like it, but, you know, critically thinking is one of the most important tools we have as people. And if we're not allowed to critically think about things that piss us off, then who are we? And because of that, I'm going to get attacked for even saying this, you know, for even doing this podcast. But I think it's necessary because I think that what happened is dangerous. I think it's going, it could lead down, it could lead down pulling back more rights. It can. Do I think that will happen? God, I hope not. I thought I had more trust in the Supreme Court understanding or, or belief in precedent, common law. But, you know, if the last 60 years has taught us anything, it's that political divisiveness is a tool that fear mongers use to make us feel inadequate and to make them feel powerful. So with that being said, this is Colin Demand's answers, and this is why Alito ruled the way he did. Thank you for tuning in.